They say there's no light that doesn't cast a shadow. But the people who say that have never been outside at noon on a summer day. It's a fleeting moment, but it's there. Everyone says it's always darkest just before dawn, and that too is a fleeting moment. I collect these moments, you see. Snapshots in time, meaningless by themselves. I'm the detective who stands between worlds for cases that span the spaces between spaces. These are the Gossamer Gumshoe Files. Episode 6, Made of Orleans, Part 3. April 7th, 7.30pm. To understand what happened next, you need to look at it non-linearly. Johnny Manana is a handsome, second-generation Mexican-American bruja witch who'd figured out how to perform the perfect soul racket in one of the most excellent crossroads in the heart of Philadelphia. I'm not going to describe him fully as a kindness. He, well, we'll get to that. The sheer amount of product he could move through at any given time would be overwhelming changing the face of Philadelphia forever and creating an entire new soul trade. Lives would be ruined, bodies would be stacked nightly as people were regularly siphoned for pieces of themselves, until they had nothing left. It would be slow, but the city would break under the weight of demons and power flowing through it. Our scenario starts like this. Johnny Manana always senses the arrival of the detective. The detective moves through the penthouse of the famed Center City Hotel where Johnny is staying. Johnny is aghast. How did the detective find him? He paid for the room in cash. Then Johnny realizes the detective didn't need to locate Johnny. They needed to locate the nearest Soul Taker's knife a rare blade designed specifically to remove a soul from a person's body. But Johnny would remember he had warded his knife. But then he'd realize that he'd known the detective before they'd become the detective, and the detective didn't need to find the warded knife. Witches are a superstitious lot, filled with myriad beliefs about ancient magic, and the detective would already know that Johnny Maniana would not use anything other than a blade with a ruby-encrusted hilt with an edge that had silver lasered on. And though Johnny did not have the other knives prepared for soul-taking, the detective did not need to find knives prepared for soul-taking. They only needed to find every knife of that make and model. Because Johnny Manana only used the one type of knife. Because Johnny Manana was a witch and symbols had power and it was his symbol. Every time a knife broke, which happened more often than you'd think due to the silver edge, he needed to have that identical replacement ready to prepare because he could no more not have that knife than he could stop being Johnny Manana. 
The detective had simply cast a spell seeking every version of Johnny Manyang's knife, and then gone to the cluster of knives Johnny kept in storage. Now, Johnny Manana did not keep such a stockpile of fascinating cutlery in his penthouse where it could be robbed. No, Johnny Manana kept them secured in a storage locker in South Philadelphia. From there, the detective had found a shipping receipt amongst the crates that led to Johnny Manana's penthouse because no ordinary detective could have traced a specialty knife by memory using a tracing ritual, but the detective knew how to cheat, and cheat like a master. And this is where the timeline diverts. Johnny Manana hears the knock at his door and knows the detective is outside. He sees the pass that led the detective here. He immediately runs toward the window. But there, already waiting, is the detective. How powerful he must have become to be able to bilocate so readily at such a distance outside of liminal space. But then the timeline diverts. Johnny Manana hears the knock at his door and knows the detective is outside him. He sees the past that led the detective here, and now he sees that the detective is both at the door and at the window. He looks to the trap door he installed into his downstairs neighbor's living room. He opens that door, and there, looking up at him, waiting for him, was the detective. The detective was trilocated. Trilocating was madness. But the timeline diverts again. This time around, Johnny Manana hears the knock at his door and knows the detective is outside. He sees the past that led the detective here, and now he sees that the detective is at the door, the detective is at the window, and the detective is at the secret trap door. He freezes. What's left? Where can he go? His penthouse has an open concept that offers no cover beyond the couch he is sitting by. But Johnny Manana reaches underneath it, draws his pump-action shotgun, 12-gauge, and a box of shells, chambers around, and then loads in a final shell. Six plus one. He is primed for war. And now we arrive at this time. Johnny Manana shouts, I know you're there, detective, and we both know that of all the magic in the world, few powers surpass that of God. The man had a point. God had created man, but Samuel Colt had made them equal. Bullets were fast. Guns could discharge fast, and if you had the right slugs, you could put most anything down. The PUP was the most dangerous force in Philadelphia, because you didn't know which of the 6,300 officers on the force among them were hunters. And because each of them had the mighty power of gun, and a full understanding of what they were dealing with. I said, Johnny... I'm looking for the Maid of Orleans.
wants a certain gilded lady, a saint of battle, and I'm not leaving until I've got her. Johnny Manana shouted back, We both know you don't use a gun, detective. You don't believe in them. So here we are. You know you're on the clock. What will you give me to protect the city from what's coming? I thought about it real hard. I asked the million dollar question. Johnny, honey, my friendly mortal enemy, be honest. Do you actually think I can be in three places at once outside a ritual circle or liminal space? And the gears started turning in Johnny Manana's mind. And the question he had to ask was, if the detective hadn't been at each of those exits, who had? Crashing through the window of the penthouse was the detective, but when the glass broke, the illusion faded and Amelia Elmore, in the full plate armor of her ancient order with a blue tabard, magic shield strapped to her arm, wielding her magic sword, glowing with the might of Queen Alexandra's holy knights, sallied forth. Johnny Manana fired, and while the power of gun was mighty, magic played in the magic shield knew no peril from it. But then the timeline diverts again. I asked the million dollar question. Johnny, honey, my friendly mortal enemy, be honest. Do you actually think I can be in three? He was already moving as Amy Elmore crashed through the window, racing for the trap door to the living room below. And then of course he had a new problem. There was no way to open the trap door. It was jammed shut. A floor below, Amy Elmore's second bartender, Douglas, actually Karanas Whisperwind, the Dagger of the South, had sealed it by jamming the mechanism with a knife. He shrugged and walked away. His part was over. And when Johnny turned around, there was Amy Elmore with sword extended. I walked through the door, explaining as I did, your problem, Johnny, is that if someone wants you dead, you get what? 24 hours in a gnomon? And if your life isn't directly in danger, you get a lot less warning. You're also limited in to how far you can see in a future. I gave everyone a shard of glass that showed an image of me over their bodies, and your first move is to revert to an earlier point in the timeline when you're cornered to give yourself more options. Lastly, I'm pretty good at spotting where a good bolt hole might be in a penthouse. Almost like I'm a detective or something. All I had to do was make you jump timelines until you ran out of moves. Johnny held up his hands and shook his head. He was sweating like a pig. He'd used his mastery of eons too many times too quickly, and he knew it. He said, Hell, detective, you got me. This was nothing short of a master class in how you do business. You literally made me checkmate myself. If I'd picked up the shotgun and run toward either of two doors as move two, I shrugged and I said, maybe, but you were up against three scary people. Sure you'd take that bet? As it is, you've always been a coward. Johnny shrugged and said, Sure you want to live in a timeline where I'd picked up the shotgun and moved two and run straight for you behind the door? 
That's when I said, this isn't the last timeline, is it? Amy's eyes went wide as she realized what was about to happen. I was smiling, though, as she desperately tried to stab Johnny. Then the timeline gets recursive and folds back onto itself one more time. Johnny Manana hears a knock at the door and knows the detective is outside it. He sees the past that led the detective here, and now he sees that the detective is at the door. Amy Elmore is at the window, and the secret trap door is covered by Karanas Whisperwind. He understands the trap the detective has laid down. Once again, Johnny Manana reaches under his couch, draws his pump-action shotgun and a box of shells, chambers around, and then loads in a final shell. He is primed for war. This is now the final timeline. Johnny Manana fired the first shotgun shell at the door I was standing behind, but I'd heard the sound of him chambering the shells. After years of hearing that particular noise, I knew to dive to the floor. kicked the damaged door in half, not as hard as it sounds after you put three 12-gauge shotgun shells through it. Johnny Manana came through the door, and I came up in a lunging shoulder barge, smashing him against the door frame. We both slapped our hands against each other like we were performing high-stakes patty cake, and we both felt each other's souls spark against us. Neither of us were using magic while we were clashing like that, and Johnny couldn't bring his shotgun around to ruin my life. It was then that Johnny realized he'd screwed up. He couldn't use his magic. He was thoroughly dependent on his physical prowess to win the fight now. And I was tougher than he was. I twisted his arms in the shotgun, broke his stance in the movement, and threw him to the ground. He had a choice break both his arms, or lose the shotgun. He chose to keep his arms. I stood there, pointing my new shotgun at his head. I said, I called you a coward in the last timeline, didn't I? Johnny Manana nodded slowly and said, Yes, detective. Yes, you did. I said, Best way to make sure that if you did have any more minutes to cut back to, that I'd be the one you'd go after. Johnny was exhausted. His strength was gone. He shook his head, sweat dripping off his body. Johnny said, Whoever locked the trap door would have been the safer target. I said, And that's why you're a coward. My man downstairs would have been the safer one. But if I didn't have the courage to risk being the bait, I wouldn't get to be the detective. Remember this, Johnny Manana. When the last hope falls, the detective would remain to punish the guilty, even if it would mean taking on the entire city. I will always be here, and once called upon, I do not stop. Not until all the books are balanced, all the checks are cashed, and just desserts are served. You could have six more timelines up your damn sleeve, and I would still be waiting in each of them. 
Johnny deflated on the ground. He said, I will be the greatest soul trader in the history of North America. You know that old movie? I'll have the money, the power, and the women. Well, also the men. And all I have to do is not tell you where Joan of Arc's statue is, and wait for the demons to sort you out for me. I considered that. Amelia had crashed through the window during the shotgun blast, too late to help, and Karanas Whisperwind was still coming upstairs from the sealed trap door. I sighed, and I sat down next to Johnny, and I shrugged. Johnny, I consider myself to be a good person. I do my best for everyone that I can, and it's always a struggle. There hasn't been a full Coven meeting in Philadelphia since the collapse in 2012. I do what witches are supposed to do, and I try to maintain the balance between people and spirits. Amy was in the doorway, hanging on to every word. I continued, saying, I've got Abandonada and the Burbs accumulating power. I've got you in the city trying to obliterate the spirit world and create a soul market that would make people into commodities. The closest thing I have to a law to fall back on is the Paternal Union of Police, and the PUP sees everything that flickers, glows, or growls as a thing to purge with fire. And suddenly, I've got all the other creatures and entities in Philadelphia showing up at my door, paying me to do jobs, and, for lack of a better way to put it, squeeze justice like I'm running a juice stand. The problem is that all I've got are rocks, and instead of getting justice, I'm trying to get blood from a stone. Johnny said, Tick-tock, detective. I replied, You know the best way to get blood from a stone? Johnny laughed at that and said with a smirk, <laughs> Hit somebody with it. We both laughed. After all, the Coven of Philadelphia had made that a running joke years ago after it was said by Louis the Amazing Carlin. It was where we'd first met. It was how we best liked to remember each other. Two young witches out to save a world that didn't quite feel so broken. And this was before the fall. I gave Johnny a hand and we sat together against the wall. Karanas Whisperwind peeked his head out of the stairwell now, but otherwise stuck to the shadows. Johnny and I, we held hands. Johnny said, Detective, I wish I remembered your name from before. I wish I could remember you, the real you. I sighed. I wish you could remember me too. I said, Johnny, we'll never be what we were again. You followed the wrong flow to a sea in hell where power flows easily, but with a cost. If you unleash this new soul market, so many will be addicted. You'll empower yourself and hell. Sacrifice so many people. I can't let you do this. Johnny said, And what of your path? You have no name now. 
Can anyone who looks at you really remember your face? You're the detective, man. You've obliterated everything about yourself that was beautiful and unique. I loved you, and everything I loved about you is gone. I laughed. I couldn't help it. I shook my head and took off my hat. The same fedora, not a trilby, there's a difference, that every detective wore in the 1930s and that I chose to wear as well with my trench coat, and I considered myself. I finally said, Johnny, you're gonna enrich yourself by destroying entire communities by using a soul market. I took on a mantle greater than myself to protect the community. What we did isn't even remotely comparable. Johnny said, We both know plenty of witches dip into souls to fight. If the angels regulated the market fairly and safely, making it easier for us to commune with the dead and allowing them to safely grant their power on a greater scale, instead of leaving it to the demons, this entire problem wouldn't exist. I nodded in agreement and I said, Yeah, you're right, Johnny. Between the angels and witches and our rules on the manipulation of souls creating a black market that creates addicts and encourages abuse, and an inability to treat it as a mental health issue due to people like the PUP, yeah, we've got an entire system built to fail. And even if I stop your market from starting up, there will be other markets. But the thing is, Johnny, I've got a saint paying me to put your market down. And even if I can't beat you on the philosophical and systemic issues, fact is, money is money. And then Johnny laughed and he said, So that's it? You're gonna beat it out of me for the money? I considered that. I said, No. You're gonna tell me where the statue is. No beatings required. Johnny said, Why would I do that? I clapped handcuffs on him, connecting him to a decorative railing above us, and said, Because you fired four to five shotgun shells in the middle of a penthouse suite, and somebody will have called the cops by now. I'm a witch of the worlds. Getting us out won't be hard, but I'm your only way out. In about five minutes, the PUP will storm up those stairs, and the first thing they'll do is see the magic shit in the penthouse. And the next thing they'll do is place your shotgun covered in your fingerprints on you, uncuff you, declare that you resisted arrest very, very loudly, and pump as many bullets as it takes into your body to make sure you're dead. Johnny's eyes lit up. Check me. I said, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to leave you to them. Amy and... Karanas, Wisps just stared at me. Johnny stared at me. I was telling a line here, and I just smiled. Johnny shook his head and said, You'd go that far. I said, Blood from a stone, Johnny. It's the closest I can get to justice here. I gently ran my fist across his chin and mimicked the splatter by opening my hand, declaring, POW! Johnny smirked, blushing a little. 
he said. Well, no harm in telling you. Hangar on the Hog Island in the Philadelphia International Airport, which is going to be a problem for you. Because even if you do manage to get to it in time, how are you going to move a gilded steel statue from a heavily guarded, secure hangar to the Joan of Arc statue point on Kelly Drive in four hours? He was right. It was 8 p.m. now. I had until midnight when the soul market would break through into Philadelphia. I sighed, shook my head, and I gently slapped him. You're the worst, Johnny. You know that? I undid his cuffs. Johnny Manana nodded, massaging his wrists and then his face where I'd struck him and said, Oh, I know. I said, Get out of town. And if you try and contact anyone about this, you're a dead man. Swear upon your maker that it be true, get involved again, and death comes to you, Johnny Manana said. I swear to you, if I am involved again, death will come there and then. The pact was sealed as we clasped hands. For now and forever, Johnny Manana was not to be involved in the statue of Joan of Arc. Johnny and I stood, and he said, I won't forget this. I said, Believe me, I won't either. And with that, I picked up Johnny's shotgun, and the group leapt out the window. Amelia had no fire escape with which to attack from her. What she'd had was a connection point I'd carved out of the world, between an alley at the base of the hotel and that window. And after we were once again on the dark city streets, I closed that hole that I'd carved behind us. Johnny did what all cowards did, and he ran as fast as his legs would take him. Finally, Amelia said, I had no idea how utterly broken this world was. I shrugged and I said, the world's always been broken. We just fix it a little more every day. Karanas said, Your angels are morons. Why not let souls travel between realms? Why not let more people draw magic and allow those souls to assist practitioners as the great gods of our realm did? We certainly had ways to help a dangerous wizard recuperate from the madness of the flow of magic if things went awry. I said, because people like that think the best way to fix a problem is to make it a moral issue, to control it with an iron grip, not realizing that the harder you grip, the more squeezes out between your fingers. And they didn't make things sustainable. I can't tell you why. I shrugged and I said, look, everything you're saying is right. I'm the one who spent their entire life on Earth. It sucks, and I'm sorry this was the best place you could end up. It was humiliating to say that. We walked the streets to Amy's car. It was an old beat-up thing from the 80s, and we piled in. 
As we drove through the darkened city streets in the rain, I had to ask myself, how to move a gilded statue the size of this car 12 miles after fighting through guards, and get it done by midnight? I couldn't help it. I actually said in the car, I have no idea how we're going to do this. I didn't know much about Karanas, the elf who was Amelia's second bartender, who had been very clever this entire night so far, and when he finally spoke, he said, So, before I decided to go to Earth after Amy, uh, and fake an identity as one of her bartenders at Reichenbach Falls, I was something of an assassin. I looked between them. Amy was focused on the road. I said, and she keeps you around. Karanas said, I may have slain a dragon. Now he had my attention. Karanas said, you're in an enemy's territory. The PUP controls the streets and you need to move your statue some 12 miles to prevent a demon's soul market from forming in the heart of your city. Question. Why bother worrying about the distance at all? You put a doorway for Amy to cross through that alleyway to that penthouse window. A straight shot. I said, I'm a witch of the worlds. Yes, my specialty is distances. But I could see the window I was creating Amelia a door too. I have no visual on a 12 mile distance. There's no resonance for me to focus on. Karanas said, Is there a way for you to create a resonance to focus on across that 12 mile distance? I considered that. It was a good question. I said, I would need a paired set of magic circles, one on each end to create a point A and point B for transference. But we won't have time to kill the demons, set up the circle on the statue, and set up the circle at the crossroads where the statue needs to go. Karanas motioned around us and said, Ah, my friend, but does the circle need to be on a fixed surface? Why not put it on the car? I stared at him, the absolute mad lad. He was right. I relaxed in the ancient polyester seating and considered that. I said, Yeah, but then you'd have to park the car on the crossroads, and if I undershoot, I'll hit the car. Um, Amy's grip on her steering wheel got real tight then, and she said, You break my car, you're paying for it. Karanas countered, Don't worry, it's insured. It's not worth more than a thousand dollars. I said, Wouldn't have thought it was worth more than five hundred. Um, Amy shook her head and said, Yeah, you keep talking. I'll kick you out. You know I will. But we were all grinning. I was appreciating this whole having backup thing. I said, Okay, we get to the airport, free the statue, then I'll draw the circle on the car, one on the statue, and then we should be able to drop the statue in place. What I didn't know yet was that it was going to take time we might not have. End of part three.
The Songs, Dee Dee Groove, Acid Trumpet, Prelude and Action, Twisted, Hitman, are all by Kevin McLeod from filmmusic.io and are used through Creative Commons International 4.0 license. Please support the official creator. The sound effect. Metroid Door. Is CC by 3.0. Recorded by Brandino480. Please support the official creator. The sound effect. Chambering Around. Is CC by 3.0. Recorded by Mike Koenig. Please support the official creator. The sound effect 12-gauge Winchester shotgun is CC by 3.0. Recorded by Ra the Sun God. Please support the official creator. The sound effect Winchester 1873 single shots is by Grant Evans, CC by 3.0, internationally licensed. Please support the official creator. Next time, Maid of Orleans, Part 4. This has been a Foam Lined Box Production.